Hello and welcome to Focus on Fantasy Romance, episode number 38, an episode where we discuss books, genre, industry, and our geeky lives. I'm your host, Al Klaus. I'm ARD Clerk. I'm Paulina Woods. And Isabel's waving. <laughs> So today we have Renee Mason, who, if you've been a friend of the uh, listening to the show for a while, you'll remember from episode two, where we interviewed Paulina. Uh, Renee Mason is an award-winning author. She writes paranormal romance and contemporary erotic romance. Well, all of it's erotic. So, <laughs> so hi, Renee. Hello. So I met Renee on was it Scribophile? Yep. A long time Back ago. in the day. Oh yeah, like 2014. It was a while. It's been a while. Um, and we, I think we started. Because I published yeah. in 2013, so it had been the year 2012. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we got the same publisher. We got signed close to the same time, didn't we? Maybe a year apart. Really It was really close. I think so. Yeah. So, how did you end up on Scribophile? How did you get into writing? Well, when I started to write my first book, it was a whim. I woke up one day and said to my husband, "I think I can. I think I can do this." I said, "I'd like to like to try and see what I can do." And then, as I started writing, I gave it to a friend of mine who he's the kind of guy who. And he works with me. Everything I got back, he would take every memo that I ever wrote and like red pen it, like even after I put it out, just to show me exactly where I could have improved it. And I used to explain to him, I said, well, you know, if you would give it to me before I put it out, like it would be much more productive. So I gave some of my work to him and let him read it because I know he's a, a really tough critic of mine. And he came back and said, hey, it reads like you should continue this. And I realized, though, that I didn't know what I was doing. So I went onto the internet and started researching um, critique groups. And, uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing more vulnerable than uh, asking a bunch of strangers on the internet to read your work because it, you know, it, it turns out exactly like you would think it does when you ask a bunch of strangers to read your work on the internet. Um, they kind of rip you apart and you get a, you know, um, get the band-aid torn off fast and they tell you everything that you're doing wrong with great zeal and, um, but you know what, you learn fast that way. Okay, so you would say that you kind of earned your, your tough skin to take uh, criticism from your early writing endeavors, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to have a thick skin in this industry. Well, and I think, I think one of the great things is that a lot of times writers write kind of in a bubble and then they'll hand it out to beta readers at the end. And typically those are people that have some type of familiar relationship to them, whether they're family or friends or whatever else. And so they're usually, if, if there is bad news to, to be delivered it's usually delivered in a in a respectful way but when you go out there and you put basically what for me was probably like third grade grammar at the time because i had forgotten everything from school when it came to running when it came to writing fiction 
um, and allow the internet to comment on it, you get thick skin right from the beginning. So because they don't sugarcoat it for you and they don't deliver it in in those nice terms because they want to maintain a relationship, they basically are like, okay, I want my my credits so that someone will review my work and here's the hard cold truth. It also, um, I think the other thing that it did for me is it allowed me to gain a really good sense of what advice I needed to take and what advice I didn't need to take just simply because there was so much. And um, I think that that's something that uh, is, was invaluable to me in, in being able to assess what I need to include and what I don't need to include at this point. Right. I found that I had difficulty with getting the feedback I was looking for. Even when I said, hey, I'm looking for like plot development feedback, I would get, oh, you missed a period here and you missed a question mark. I'm like, that's not really what I'm looking for, but thank you. So did you always write paranormal romance or did you start in another genre? What led you to paranormal romance? The first book I published was the first book I had ever written. So and it happened to be paranormal romance. So I don't know that I I've never written anything else besides that. So that, and was, that was Symphony of Light and Winter. Mm -hmm. So what inspired Symphony of Light and Winter? That's a great question. I I, I don't know. Uh, the voices in my head. I guess that's the best way to say say it. Sounds kind of um, um, crazy, but. I, you know, I woke up one day and I had this idea. It was basically one of the scenes of the story was running through my mind. And I, for some reason, felt compelled to put that, that experience down on paper. And I did. And from that point, the entire story grew from that one scene. And, you know, what is it, 11 books later, and here we are. Well, you said 11 books. Are you including your Curing Dr. Vincent trilogy? Because yes. uh, the Symphony of Light is, you just released your fifth book? Correct. Okay. Okay. So um, I'm going to pass it off to Amy. I don't know if you can see my chat. Amy, you ready? Uh, I cannot see the chat. <clears throat> so I don't know if there are any questions. I didn't prepare ahead of time. So. <clears throat> I don't know what to tell you. I guess I'll just ask whatever. Comes I can keep to mind. talking. Um, so I I know that you've had significant um, success with audiobooks. Um, so tell us. Um, we just spoke to an audiobook narrator last podcast. Um, so tell us from the author's point of view, <clears throat> what are some positive things and some negative things that you took away from um, putting your book out there as an audiobook? Probably the uh, the most difficult thing in putting a book in audio was that um, I think we underestimate how forgiving print is when people are reading it. Um, that you you can you can have more redundancy and you can have other um, more forgivable things in print because people forget what they read three chapters ago. But when you hear someone's voice say it and then they say it again it stands out. So I think that um, audio is less forgiving. So um, that was probably the hardest thing because when I was listening through the first production, even though the actors were fan fantastic in the way that they delivered things, it, things stood out to me that when I edited the story, 
they would have it would have never been anything I even looked at, but it became crystal clear when you heard you know a person's voice say that over and over again, even if it was seven chapters away. In print, you'd never notice it. In audio, it's very noticeable. So, in your stories specifically, um, are there any um, tropes or um, favorite themes that you like to write about that you find yourself kind of writing over and over again? Well, the one thing that I end up writing is uh, uh, about the concept of polyamory and um, being able to love more than one person at the same time. It tends, um, so far in the two, two series that I've written, it, it has become a theme. Um, outside of that, all of my books are also a mystery, kind of at the, uh, the core, uh, more so than following your standard romance tropes. But, but they are heavy romance. The relationship is definitely a focus, especially in the first books of, of each of the series. And, um, it's, you know, beyond beyond the polyamory, there isn't anything uh, that I think is cohesive or that really lends to any other type of trope. And when you are looking forward to the future, do you see yourself branching out um, to try different things, looking at new genres or subgenres or, you know, something different like that? Or would you like to just kind of stay in your same... Um, comfort zone or how does that look for you i i think i'll be i'll stick with romance because with romance i i love that human dynamic of coming together and um build, building relationships i love flawed individuals i i i like people who are not um who are likable long-term rather than short-term i guess that's the way to put it um that become redeemable by the end of the story and you through that discovery because I think that's that's the one thing that fascinates me about is that I'm always curious about who people are really underneath everything that they show everyone else so in a story you really get to uncover that in romance so I do plan to stick to romance and um, I took a, a little diversion and, and wrote a book about audiobooks that was nonfiction so I got a taste of nonfiction and um, I think I'm on the right path. I will, however, um, the Symphony of Light series will end after this next book that I'm planning to have out by the end of the year. After that, um, I'll be writing more contemporary stories. Those are all my questions. Uh, Paulina, how about you? Yes, my turn. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh-oh, I'm worried now. No, I only have like five. Uh <laughs> and I was writing them down. So, um, how, biggest question that I have, how do you get in the zone for writing sex scenes? Like, I literally have to be in the mood or it just doesn't happen. Um, you know what? Sex scenes are kind of like writing fight scenes for me. They're, I, I, I don't know how to describe it. I mean, basically, it's, it's that, it's that same buildup, that same tension, that same, um, you know, you're, 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 you're building toward a climax within a scene. And whether it's a fight scene that ends in somebody dying or it's a fight scene that ends in somebody being victorious, uh, it, it's, it's kind of the same concept for me. But um, I don't know. I, I, 
I don't know why those scenes just kind of flow out of me. I, I've never made a <laughs> conscious decision to write the dirty things that I do, <laughs> but they just, they're there somewhere, whatever. My, my muse is a kinky bastard. That's all I have to say. Apparently, because I've, every single book of yours that I've read, it's, the scenes are so real that I literally look up, I'm like, oh wait, that didn't happen? You know, so it's, it's interesting concept to try to reach for that. And you know, that's kind of my goal. I'm like, that'd be cool to write something where someone like forgets that it's not happening to them. So I just wanted to see like, what was that build up to it? Or, you know, was there like a certain things you offered to the gods or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember making a particular sacrifice. Maybe, maybe that explains, you know, why I lose my keys all the time. Could be. Better sex scenes for losing your seat, your keys. I'll take it. It could be. I, I, I don't know. It's, and somebody asked me why I chose to write about sex, and I said, I don't know that I did. I do find it a fascinating um, aspect of human psychology, however, because, you know, the way that somebody makes love is so ingrained in who they were and what their upbringing was and all of the, you know, the, the um, circumstances and events that led up to that point in their life. And every person is so different, and there's so much that can be that can be um, just uncovered in the way that somebody has sex. So I think that that's, that's, that's part of it because even though, you know, I do have a lot of sex scenes, there is something being advanced in every single one of them. It's advancing the story or it's revealing a, a serious uh, character uh, aspect that you need to understand going forward. But, you know, it's not just sex for sex sake. It definitely is there. Now, if you're not getting that, then I need to work harder. But, um, <laughs> but I think that that's, that's the interesting thing is that, and it's one of those things that I think there's a curiosity around because, you know, we know so many people, but we only know so many people intimately and being able to see behind the closed door and being able to see into the bedroom as to what the psychology is, I think fascinates people. Hmm. It actually made me think that might be what it is, is a connection leading up to the sex scene and throughout, you're not just seeing penis inserted into vagina, it's you, you're, right. you got all the other things around it. Right, if, if, if you're writing sex for sex sake, I think that would be very difficult. But every single one of my sex scenes, actually, I intend to deliver something different than sex. Whether it's the idea of power, whether it's the idea of submission, whether it's the idea of um, understanding someone's vulnerability, every single scene really has some other underlying purpose for occurring. Okay, cool. I will work on that. Uh, what's the weirdest thing a fan or non-fan has done, and how do you handle unwanted mess Facebook messages? Because you are romance author, so do you actually get those messages? Or oh, get Facebook messages, pretty much. <laughs> I'm like that. It seems to come with the territory. I haven't got mine yet. But do you have marriage proposals? Ish gets marriage proposals. Marriage proposals. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't. I don't think I've had any marriage proposals. I've had. Um, the kids are out of the room, right, Al? I, I don't want to say this while they're in the room. You're uh, fine. I've had invitations to watch people masturbate. I've had dick pics. 
I've had just completely inappropriate things that make you wonder about society this, these days. Um, but I, I pretty much ignore them because I think that giving them any type of credibility and any type of attention is like just feeding into what they want. Um, so I ignore them. I don't, I don't respond at all. Typically if it's, if it's something like that, because even if it's a dick pic that's getting outraged is just exactly what they're looking for. They're looking for some kind of type of reaction from me and I just don't give it to them. Um, other than that, um, weirdest thing from a fan or a non fan. You've been a book signings. You haven't had any weird encounters yet. Um, you know, I think the hardest thing is just understanding that there are people that come there to see me. I think that's the strangest thing to me at all because, you know, I go I go to work every day and do my day job and there is no one at my work is going, gee, I'd drive three hours to go see her. <laughs> they're, they're, they're probably going, oh God, could you, could you take her for a while? Um, so, it, that that alone just is, is kind of perplexing because um, you know I don't see myself that way and and, and, and you know I think that uh, you know I, I interact with so many different people at my day job that you know to me it's just like okay well I'm interacting with you as well and there is that kind of uh, different dynamic so I think there's so that dynamic is kind of strange for me not that it's strange in general because I think that um, you know, it's part of human nature. I think we all have those those um, people in our lives that we we admire, or that we like their work, or that we you know we love their art, or whatever it is, and we would you know lo love the chance to interact with them. So I think it's a completely natural thing. Just my personal, I'm like, you drove three hours to come here and talk to me. <laughs> really. Well, yes. my, husband, my husband doesn't want to do it for free. He's in the room with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, so it's, um, so that, that, I think that's the strangest thing, but it's strange for me. It's not strange in general. I guess that's the way to put it. Like, like I would, you know, there, there was, I was at a, um, a book signing and there was a cover model there that, you know, I've kind of joked about for a while and he's standing 10 feet from me and they're like, you have to go talk to him. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I, I can't, and I was like, oh my Stu. God, yeah, Stu, I, I have a picture with Stu from RT, and it was funny because I was like, no, I, you don't go talk to people like that, like, that's just so not who I am, and I have a picture with him, because I had to send it to my husband to say, you know, <laughs> Stu was on the list, and here he is, right here beside me. Because I'm going to say, you, that, that's a, you post this picture a lot, you, if you missed that chance, you would have went home kind of mad at yourself. I don't know. The next, the next night it was a lot easier because I had a, a few drinks before I saw him. So <laughs> I was, I was making him take pictures with a lot of people. <laughs> Not just me. If you, uh -huh. if you guys get to, get to go to romantic times, is anybody going to romantic times from the board from a uh, host? Um, in the future? Like this year in Reno. Not this year. Wouldn't that be 2018? You, or, yeah, this yeah th next year. Sorry. Yeah, <laughs> I would I would like to. It depends on finances. Okay. Well, we need I to won't go as an author. I'll probably just go as a reader. We'll see. I think we should go as a podcast. You know what? Going as a reader is a good idea because, to be honest, I don't participate in the things because there are just so many authors there. 
and when you do the book signing, they're all crammed in and come on, they're coming to see Sylvia Day. They're not coming to see me. You know what I mean? So it's, um, I just have a good time. Well, you, you saw every night I was posting, I'm in the bar, come see me. <laughs> I was, that's what I was thinking of going as a reader, just because so many pictures and stuff from there. And I'm just like, oh my God, it'd be so much fun. It's a great networking event. It is a fabulous networking event. If you pull that out, I'm but, going to spank you. Move. Sorry, I'm talking <laughs> to my cat. I forgot. I don't, I don't network well because that means I have to people. <laughs> so where's the craziest place you have ever squeezed out time to write? <clears throat> I'm asking this question because some people in our podcast, not pointing fingers, they dictate while in the restroom. So, <laughs> dictate in the restroom? Yeah, you know, you dictate to your phone. <laughs> See, I'm old. <laughs> so I'm having a hard time with this whole dictation thing. But what I'm finding is that people who aren't as old as me, like, it's second nature. They use Siri, like, all the time and all this other stuff. And that's just not – it's really counterintuitive to who I am, so I'm really struggling with it. Mm -hmm. um, so – I'm trying dictation in my car, and the one problem I'm finding is that I have a tendency to um, talk ad hoc to the drivers <laughs> that are driving alongside me, and in my brain, there isn't a stop button. There isn't something that says, okay, stop, stop dictating while you yell at the driver who just cut you off. I just continues on. So what ends up happening is I found out through dictation that I talk to myself a lot more than I realized. Scary. Because now you know what you're saying. <laughs> you're like, oh, crap. She's consulting an expert. It's fine. Oh, is that what it is? So have you found a place where you can squeeze out time to write other than, you know, the obvious at home? Well, I mean... The, the places I've written, uh, one of the places that I write that is really bizarre, I have, the nice thing is I have a security screen on my, on my laptop, so you can't, you can't see it unless you're facing it right on, it just simply because for, you know, when I'm writing on the plane and everything else, I don't need the people beside me seeing when I'm writing. <laughs> um, but I've done that at uh, playgrounds, which, given what I write, is kind of bizarre. Um, but again, it's like, it's not, it's not one of those, like, I don't have to be turned on to write sex. I guess that's the way to put it. So it's, um, well, I wrote my best right afterwards. I'd be like, all right, honey, thank you for the inspiration. You go to sleep. <laughs> and I, I, you know, and the thing is, is I, I, I have a full-time career, a day career that I, that I enjoy and that, you know, it's not one of those things where I'm trying to get out of a, a job that I don't want to do. I enjoy my other job. I enjoy what, um, you know, like it's very, you know, it's the opposite side of my brain that I use. So it allows me, the writing allows me to use one side and it, it allows me to be more analytical. So I do that, but, um, it really, uh, I, I don't know. I, I write, I write basically when the, Stephen will take the kids and go uh, take them to bowling or whatever, and I'll write then. Um, I'll write in the evenings. I don't. I don't know. I don't know that my times are especially weird. I've written in Panera. I, uh, I've tried that. Um, I write in the hotel a lot while I travel. 
So you just write whenever you get the chance. I wrote, I wrote my last book, my, my, my last release. I, and I, I joke about this, but it's probably closer to true than I'd like to admit. I wrote it three sentences at a time because, because my sons, my sons are six and eight and they've reached that curiosity phase where they want to know everything that goes on in life. Everything like whether or not I know like all of the, uh, World War II details, the Civil War details, like they are constant questions. That's all it is. And so when they were little and yet it just kind of cried and screamed to get their diaper changed and all that, it was a lot easier to be honest. Um, but now that they're older, I like to take the time to explain those things to them. So I'll write a couple of sentences, then I get interrupted. I answer a, you know, 50,000 questions and then I come back and I write a few more sentences and then it's time for bed. And then the next day I do the same thing. And eventually, somehow, miraculously, something ends up becoming a novel. But How long do you think it takes you to write one novel? What's your average time? I honestly don't know. I mean, I've... I, I, the first one I wrote in four months, but it took me six months to edit it because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I changed that. Um, other ones, the doctor story, the first curing Dr. Vincent, I almost, I wrote that pretty much in a month. I had written the first three chapters and the rest of it I wrote in a month. So it's, um, it all depends. It all depends on how much free time I have, how much I'm being distracted, how much, how much I'm feeling the story too. I think that that's important. I, you know, I tend to feel the first book in a series a lot more than some of the others while I'm <laughs> waiting for them to, 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 to reveal themselves to me. That's my so, problem. I get that. <laughs> so this last symphony one was a little more difficult because first of all, I had a lot of things going on in life that interfered. And it also, um, it's just one of those, those things where I, I wasn't quite sure where the story was going and it wasn't telling me fast enough. So it took a while. It, it took a lot longer than I expected. Okay. I have one more. Okay. Probably. Okay. I have one more question. Al has a question. Um, have you ever scrapped a story after getting into it? Like, um, sometimes I'll write almost 5,000 words in a story. I'm like, this is a piece of shit and throw it out. I, I've gone back to some of them and continued. And other ones, I'm, I'm never going back to. I don't know what the hell I was writing. But do you have any that you just had to throw? <laughs> no. Um, and the reason why is I have such little time to write that everything I write, I try to utilize somehow. So... Um, I do have, I do have things that I have on hold. So like there is a, um, a short story contemporary that I had started to write, but I wasn't able to finish it. That, um, that's still sitting there, but I plan to use it somehow in the future. I just, my problem is, is my writing time is so precious and, um, my, my process is so, um, I don't, I'm, you know, there, there are some people who will write, you know, 200,000 words and they'll reduce it to 120. That's not me. I'll give you 45,000 words and in first revisions, you'll tell me what I'm missing. And so then I'll give you 10 more thousand, maybe. So I, I write very bare bones and there's very little that I write that doesn't end up being published. That's actually good. I'm thinking, I'm like, dude, I have notebooks full of story ideas, starts and stops. 
See, I don't get that. That's another thing. Like a lot of writers tell me that they have all these story ideas. And I do get uh, multiple ideas from time to time. Like I'll get an idea for another series coming up. But really when an idea comes to me, it's, it tends to stick with me and I want to see it through. So I don't get too distracted, which is, which is good and bad because I would love to have like a line of things to choose from. And right now, the next thing after symphony, I have one idea. That's it. Oh, I wish I had one idea. I have like 450,000. I have so, one. <laughs> and that's not what that, I'm going to do. Not that many, but I'm like, I have a dark fantasy, a sci-fi fantasy, another romance, another, I, I, geez. So I think you're lucky in a sense, because you kind of know where your brain's going next. Where mine's like, <laughs> let's take a nap. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I think there's a little bit of that. And, 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 you know, it, it, it is lucky, but it also, it's also kind of frightening because I also wonder, because if you have, if you don't have 400 ideas running through your head at a time, you wonder how long you're going to be able to sustain the ideas. Well, you just get one <laughs> idea at a time. But again, my brain's been doing this since I was younger, so that's probably another reason though. Yeah, you know, that's, that, that probably is part of it. If, if you're somebody who's always aspired to be a writer that probably is is one of the the things this isn't something i i discovered this much later in life you know i was closer to 40 when i discovered that i wanted to be that i wanted to write in general i don't think i ever said i wanted to be a writer and here i am but it's it's one of those things where i think if you had all along writing had been part of your life i can see why there would be multiple uh, stories and why you would why you would have a like a dam of ideas coming you know like backed up uh, ready to come through the floodgates at any time whereas you know someone like me I I don't I don't have that many ideas for stories I, I, I really don't well I'm glad that I don't feel so stupid now I'm like I have I call it diary of the mind <laughs> you know what you can get it on page that's a good thing yeah if I could it'd be nice but as soon as I start writing, I'm like, oh, that's a great idea for this story. Oh, that's a great idea. For um, anyway, Al, you have a question? Uh, yeah, it was kind of a, you were talking a little bit about your process. So my first question was, are, and you kind of answered this, are you a pantser or are you a plotter? Oh, I'm a pantser. It, it, it's interesting because you would think if I only have one idea at a time, I'd be more of a plotter. But it doesn't work that way. Uh, <laughs> I'll get, I'll get kind of a feel for a story, I guess that's the best way to put it, is that I'll have a feel for who my characters are, what the, what the kind of conflict is going to be, but where it's going to end up, you know, I, you know, they talk about like write the story to tell, tell yourself the story, I literally have to do that because I don't know where it's going to go and oftentimes I'll finish a chapter and be just be there looking at it going, huh. That's interesting. I would have never thought of that, but I did. I was the one who write it, wrote it. So it's, it's kind of bizarre, the whole process. I always tell everyone, I said, you know, writing is one of those things that I never expected is probably the closest thing to magic I've ever, ever experienced. Because all of a sudden you create this, this world and this vision and these people that don't exist, they have, they have no place in this world, but yet you evoke emotions from everyone who reads it to where they feel like they're part of their world. And to me, that is, that's kind of magical because especially as I'm writing it, I don't know where it's coming from. I don't, I don't sit down and consciously say, I'm going to write the scene this way. 
I, I know what I want the scene to accomplish, but the actions of the characters are completely up to them. And I'm the in-between of you and Paulina, because I may have many ideas, but I only write one thing at a time. Okay. Ever. So even though I may know 10 things I want to write down the road, I only work on one project at a time, ever. That's, that's how I am. Yeah, and I'm a pantser, too. I have to pretty much tell myself the story. <laughs> exactly. Until we get to the end. I never know what's going to happen. And do you find... Do you all find the way up till. Do you find some of the things that you write, like you just have to kind of like step away from the keyboard and go, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, I thought, hmm, I'm having some dark thoughts. <laughs> That's exactly. not very nice of me. Exactly. <laughs> I start cursing towns and killing people. I'm like, oh, today must have been a bad day. Yes. Exactly. So writing blurbs is kind of the bane of our existence. Every, every author every host here has complained about writing blurbs and you, you will randomly send me a blurb for something that's not written yet. Do you find that it's helpful to write your blurb before you actually write the story? Um, I typically don't write the blurb before I write the story. I'll write a, if you notice the blurbs that I send you, they're so high concept. They're really a series blurb. So when I write the, when I write the blurb, so like if I'm, you know, if I would write something for, let's say, the symphony series, I would write you and say, okay, there's a sex god, and he comes, he's banished to Earth, and this is what he does. So it, it's, it's kind of that, over, that overarching. So when I write those to you and I send them to you, I'm sending you kind of the concept of what the overall series will be, not necessarily the book, um, because it's the book that tends to surprise me. So from a overall perspective it really isn't um it's it's easier to see kind of the concept across across the entire series you know like you could like you, you know when i went to rt one of the um one of the uh, sessions i went to was on growth hacking your novels it was all about writing a novel that um would uh basically you know, you, you write the novel that's going to be the bestseller rather than writing the novel you want and hoping it becomes the bestseller. And they talked about how almost all of the bestsellers that are out there can be boiled down to one line. And so they, they used an example of Twilight, and they said that Twilight is basically when you come to, when it comes down to it, it's vampires in high school. And so, you know, I think that when I develop a series, I understand what the overall arching principle is and I'll send you a blurb of probably more words than it ever should be and um, you know but you know what I'm trying to do going forward and one of the exercises that I'm trying to put myself through is trying to can I can I describe what this is in one sentence because one of the things that they pointed out in that particular session was that if people can't describe it in one sentence they typically don't tell anybody about it because if it's too complicated, they're not going to they're not going to give that information. So they won't say, "Hey, I read this book, and it's you know what? It's really hard to explain." And then you know, let me tell you about it. And then they go into this big explanation. No, they'll say like Harry Potter. It's about wizards at wizarding school. That's what it's about, and they're done with it. And that that was something that was that stood out to me is that I don't do that with my novels, and I need to going forward. So. 
I now need to take what I send you, L, which is basically that kind of series overview, and boil that down to one sentence, which I don't know if I can do it. We'll see. Yeah, I can't do that with my books. Hmm? I can't do that with my books. Yeah, it's hard because I tend to go off on tangents, and especially if you're someone like, you know, who, who writes like I do, like AR said, is that it's difficult um, when you're a panster because you don't know what the story is really going to be about. Um, so it's hard to boil it down to one sentence. I think he had one last question. No? Okay. No, I'm so, so I'm kind of going to put you on the spot because I forgot to ask before we started recording. Are you willing to do an ebook giveaway for the podcast? Sure. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So what, we, what we've been doing is one ebook. Okay. Do you want to do um, the first in your series of Symphony of Light? Sure. Okay. So you have to leave a comment on our blog, which is focus on fantasy romance.wordpress.com and ask Renee a question. Uh, nothing is off limits from what I understand. And that is your entry into the giveaway. We have 30 days, so today's 28th. So August 28th will be the end of the giveaway, um, and then you could enter to win a chance. So um, there's that. Where can we find you? Do you have um, social media links you want to share? Probably the best place to look for me is my website, which is reneemason.com, R-E-N-E-A-M-A-S-O-N.com. Um, I'll, all of my links are pretty much there. Um, I'm on, I'm on all the major social media sites. The only one I'm not on is Snapchat because I haven't figured that out yet. So I, I, I don't get, does anybody get Snapchat chat that they can help me with? Okay. Cause taking a picture that disappears again, I'm old. I have one. <laughs> I'm all. I have one to keep it with my boyfriend because he likes posting stuff on that, but it doesn't make sense to me. So I, yeah, I'm with you. It's dumb. It disappears anyway. I, have, <laughs> I don't think it's dumb, but how many pictures of me writing does someone want to look at? What did you say? I don't think it's dumb, but how many pictures of me writing does someone want to look at? A writer is a very solitary thing. It's not like we're going traveling. We sit at the desk and we write. Not very fun to look at. Okay. Well, thank you for joining us. If you like the podcast, please like, comment, and share. This has been episode number 38. Good night. Good night. Good night.